don't talk too much. Just talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening, and I am Eric John. And of course, before we get into it, I've got to tell you about the best artisan soda in the entire world. Of course, that's Yacht Club Soda. Go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and check out all the amazing flavors they've got. They've got blue raspberry, grape, strawberry, lemon lime, orange cream. Uh, the list goes on and on. You will not be disappointed. They use real cane sugar, and they come in these uh, beautiful glass bottles. So go to yachtclubsoda.com right now, and you can mix, you can match. John's Combato will send them right to your doorstep. So don't hesitate. Go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and order the best soda you'll ever have. Also, uh, as I've been saying, I've got new pizza art coming out pretty uh, pretty much all the time. Please go uh, check it out at, at Eric John Art on Twitter uh, or X, whatever, um, and uh, at Eric John Pizza Art on Instagram. You can also follow me on TikTok and YouTube. Just search for Eric John Pizza Art and you'll find me. And uh, of course, don't forget to watch The Art of Pizza uh, by Marcus Ritchie. It's a documentary about me and my work, uh, which is also on YouTube. Okay, on the show today, uh, welcoming back to the show, Patty Stash, crypto legend, the star of uh, the, the next great crypto gem TV show. Uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about uh, this recent surge in crypto. Um, there's a renewed interest uh, both in crypto and NFT, and uh, we're going to talk about all of it. So uh, without further ado, Patty Stash, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Um, all right, so I want to get right into it. Uh, last time you were on the show, um, we talked a lot about a lot of different things, but one of the things we talked a lot about was Suka, and I really want to get into that right off the bat because uh, coming off your appearance on the next Crypto Gem show, uh, where you were, you know, you were really pushing Suka as a product or as a project, and um, I know that you know there's been a lot going on with Suka and your relationship to the community and all of that. So why don't you just catch everybody up to speed uh, in terms of your relationship to the Suka project and, and where you stand with it right now? Okay. You know, this is the first time that I've ever really, like, talked about the situation. You know, everybody has their opinions of, like, what happened, what went down, but I guess I could kind of clear the air here. And, like, the one thing I want to say is, you know, I still hold Suka. I still believe that Suka is going to be a freaking monster, but... It's going to be a monster for reasons other than what I'm looking for. I have a very set idea of what I want to do this market cycle, and it's focused more on like statistics, mathematics, and then like just hype and demand. I want to I want to find things that have these fundamental structural bases that could support pretty much anything and build off of them. And so when Suka first came across my lap, the, the first thing that was told to me was that it's Ryoshi's new token. And that immediately piqued my interest because, you know, I got into Shiba Inu early and I know that Ryoshi was behind that. So, you know, this is back in July of 2022. And when I got in, it was right around a half a cent. I bought a little bit and then it started spiking up and I just kind of started dollar cost averaging up. Um, and then it just kind of took off and it had this, 
absolutely insane community where everybody was like so bullish and just it was it was intoxicating and then the idea of Rayoshi being behind it was what like really got me excited because I'm going this thing trades real well it's got a pretty damn good token distribution and this was the stuff that I was looking for the fundamentals that prevent you from putting your faith in an individual you know, when you have a company and you've got a CEO and he's the guy running the show, it's kind of whatever he says goes. And it's like, I get that. But with crypto, it's more about decentralization. It's more about being, you know, an anonymity or whatever, however you pronounce it. But it's like working together as a collective of individuals to accomplish a goal. That's what I think crypto. That's what I think of Bitcoin. I think of no central power, no central entity. So what I saw was a community-based project that had the concept of Ryoshi behind it. So I'm going, okay, fundamentally, this has this baseline that I love with the math and the, and the token distribution being good. Plus, it has these other elements of, hey, maybe Ryoshi's behind it. You know, everybody believes that he is. And that entire time I researched, I couldn't find any proof that he wasn't. So I'm thinking to myself, if in all this time nobody can disprove he's not behind it, People at some point just might believe he is behind it if it goes on long enough. So that was the mentality I had. So I'm going, okay, we got this Ryoshi story, but we got this great math. And then, you know, the community is fantastic. And then what happened is, you know, after a year, I, of course, was always on the Twitter spaces talking about it. And everything I always talked about was the mathematical element to it, saying that it was a, you know, it was a, an outlier in the sense that it had this ridiculous token distribution. And, you know, that's what I was looking for. So for an entire year, almost, that's what I talked about on Spaces. And, you know, there was other people that I would always talk about the Rayoshi element. Occasionally, I would kind of just touch on it saying that, hey, people believe it's him. It may, it may not be. I don't know, but nobody can disprove it. So it's like that enough is good enough for me. And so I forget when it was, but it was probably around the new year, um, someone approached me and they said, Hey, like, there's this really crazy opportunity that kind of came up and like, I want to see if you want to do it. And that was for the next crypto gem. So I'm just like initially thinking to myself, I'm not going to do this. I'm not a person that goes on a stage and acts, you know, like I hated drama class as a kid. I hated being in front of the class, but I was always the guy in class causing a disruption, talking out of turn, just being <laughs> that guy, I guess. That's just me. And I don't like to be in the spotlight. I don't like to be the focal point. I like to, you know, I make a joke. I say I'm like a fart in the wind. I like to just disappear in the shadows. But because of my demeanor and my enthusiasm, I guess it's impossible. So, you know, I came into that community and everyone immediately was like, yo, this guy, Patty's freaking crazy. Uh, but he's exciting and he gets us hyped up. So it's like people love me, then they hate me because like, you know, I kind of made this term with Suka. So now the show came about and I decided to do it because I'm like, if I go on the show, this is going to be the opportunity of a lifetime. Like this is the first ever cryptocurrency TV show. You know, all these big names are on it. And I'm like, if it's a success, like this could be like a jumping point of my life, you know, like this could be the beginning of like my career or whatever. I don't know. I still like, you know, I'm 42 and I'm still floundering in life, figuring out what it is. Like, I love crypto. I've been here for seven years, but I don't know if I'm going to continue to stay in this market just because of like 
the, it's very toxic. And, you know, that's during the bear market when people get down and negative. And I get it. When the bull market comes back, things change. But I just don't like getting screwed over by everyone. And that's what it really seems like happens. I mean, yes, there's a lot of great people, but a lot there's a lot more people looking to just like gun for me for some reason. And it's like, I don't know what I ever did except be passionate about something. And it's like, I could change my opinion because I explain everything that I say and do. So when my opinion changes, I have a justified reason based off of, I would say the, um, you know, the, um, the, I'm, the word is slipping me, um, expectations that I always set. I try to set expectations with things and say, Hey, I believe that this, this, this is going to do this because of this. I believe that this could be good because of this. And it's like, take it as you will. I'm not telling you what to do, but a lot of people, I guess, assume I'm good or I know my shit. So they just do what I do. And if something doesn't work out, it's my fault. But if they make millions, it's not my fault. And they just say, thanks, Pat. You know, it's sort of like when the football team wins, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the quarterback gets all the credit. And if they lose, the coach gets all the blame. 100%. Sort of thing, right. Um, what, so what, you know, what exactly changed for you, Patty, with, with Suka? So, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm get I'm right there right now. Yep. So the show came on, did the show, and when I spoke on the show, everything I talked about on the show was the mathematical element and the fact that there's this mysterious developer. You know, people think it's the guy that created Shiba Inu, and I said the same things about you know uh, nobody could disprove it, but I never really talked about that at all on the show because up to that point, the developer never they didn't actually create anything. There's no development. And so after all that time, I'm saying to myself, what happens if I go on the show, start talking about, you know, this Rayoshi guy, and then like, it doesn't play out or something else happens. And I look like a fucking idiot. So instead I just, you know, did what I do. And I talked about the math and all that stuff. And, you know, the guy I was on the show with, he talked more about the Rayoshi situation because we each kind of were like, we were like a pair, like a team. So went on the show, did my thing, kept it a secret. Nobody knew, man. I don't know how it didn't leak out somehow, but nobody knew. Everybody thought it was going to be like other people. Then the show comes out. And right around that same time, there was a lot of turmoil within the community. Um, after the show was filmed, I noticed like the community started kind of just going to shit. And that happens typically when, you know, pe people get frustrated. And what I was witnessing was, you know, immense price suppression. There was selling at resistance just over and over. And every time it looked like it was going to move, it just got dumped on. And when that happens for months and months and months, people start to get demoralized and they either start to sell or they start to just like blame others and point fingers. So I was talking to people from the community and I'm saying, hey, is anybody seeing what's going on here besides me? Do you guys notice that this community is like they're driving it into the ground? And I say they as in there's a group of people that kind of were pushing this agenda or this Rayoshi narrative. And they're the ones that were basically saying, you know, Rayoshi's behind it. Just shut up. Rayoshi's behind it. And if anybody questioned anything, it was like you get shut down or you get blocked. And so everyone started getting blocked. All these new people were coming in and they're immediately getting blocked. And I'm saying to myself, if everyone's getting blocked, how is their new money ever going to come in here? And I'm like, it's going to fucking collapse. And as the price started to collapse and it got to that three cent uh, mark, the guy that was manipulating the price from the beginning unloaded like this insanely immense amount, which was at macro support. And so that pushed it below support. And I'm thinking to myself, why would he do that? 
Why would someone do that intentionally? It was intentional. And I say this because I have 25 years experience and I know when people are buying and selling for an entire year straight and they purposely dump the remaining of their entire bag at support, it's not because they're like, oh, I'm going to get out now. They had alternative motives. And I immediately picked up on that. And two weeks later, or around that time, a new token popped up that was created by the deployer that also created Suka. Nobody knew what the hell it was. Everyone's going, oh, it's, you know, it's Rayoshi's new token. And I'm like, what? Why would a developer create a new token when after a year and a half of developing and building the strength of this foundation of this one token, they just suck the life out of it and redistribute it to another one? Why would a developer do that? And then all of a sudden, as it turns out, turmoil in the community, nobody knows if it's real. Then all of a sudden, from the beginning, where we're getting these messages from the blockchain, blockchain deployer, you know, basically it's supposed to be Ryoshi. I don't know who it is. I still don't know. Then all of a sudden, this like message comes out saying that like this new token is part of the ecosystem. And I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Everything that I ever talked about for the last, you know, 16 months is kaput immediately because that new token completely diluted the value from the original, which was Suka. Everything about Suka just got destroyed because of this new token. But I'm sure 95, 99% of people have no idea what really went down because they don't understand the fundamental change that happened. However, it doesn't matter in the long run. And I know this now because this project is a storyline. It's a narrative about this Rayoshi concept. Everyone believes it until it becomes reality. Perception is reality. Speculation drives markets. They're pushing this narrative. This is every token does something, something different, but this is what I see. And this is why I bounced. I was in there because of the mathematical element with the community. All I ever talked about was, this is the first of its kind community-run token. I said it a billion times, and over that first year, not a single person ever questioned it. Until the new token came out, Rayoshi created the new one. The guy that dumped millions and millions of tokens at support somehow became the number one holder of this new token. And then in the other chat for that new token, he's making this new narrative saying, hey guys, I think these two tokens are the same value. And I'm going, yeah, I'm sure you do because you just dumped the other one, front loaded this one. Now you're trying to create this new narrative that they're the same. And I'm just like, you know what? That is the reality of what went down. I don't want to be a part of it. I want nothing to do with it. And I don't like it. And that's just who I am. I see the things that happen. And then they start demonizing me in the community saying, I'm a bad guy. I'm the one that drove the price down. I'm the one that fucking did this and did that. And I'm going, holy shit. Just because I'm seeing something that I don't like. And now my sentiment is changing. Everyone turned against me. And then literally there was like a group of like 20 people that no matter what I said, it was always wrong. And what they said was right or they would censor me. Then I got blocked and then it's like, well, I didn't get blocked. Let me explain this. This is the craziest thing. So with the telegram, the telegram was where all the action is. Like I was in the telegram all day, every day. I'd make videos. I'm, you know, making voice notes and I'm doing everything. And so um, there was a guy from the telegram who I'm not very fond of that said something. I screenshotted it. Then I questioned what he said. Then he denied it. Then 
he went back and changed his message. But he didn't realize I took a screenshot of it before he changed it. So I made a comment in the Telegram and I said, excuse me, does anybody know what this guy is saying here? Because I go, he just changed his comment and then said, I lied. And I go, here's the proof that he's lying. And he calls me a liar when I have the proof. So he made a comment that said something about, I know something you don't know, or we know something you don't know. And I'm like, what does that mean? You're, you're supposed to be one of the admins. You know, what does that mean? What are you alluding to? Like, isn't this a community token? And that's like where everything just started falling apart. So well, I screenshot you know that. What, you know what occurs to me is, you know, because I've been in a lot of these discords, you know, mostly with NFT projects and things like that. And, um, you know, these sorts of things always tend to happen, um, especially when there's a few people who, um, you know, who either have things uh, to say that are that are maybe somewhat critical or even just asking some questions about the project, you know, um, because, you know, a lot of these projects are kind of mysterious um you know a lot of times there's not a whole lot of information as to who the people are behind it uh what's really going on behind the scenes and so asking questions uh in, in an environment like that can be can make you a target and i think oh it, yeah and, and correct me if i'm wrong here but it seems like one of the things you really liked about suka in the beginning was the idea that all of that stuff didn't matter that it was this it, that the token was this great thing sort of in and of itself and sort of immune to all of this sort of backstage drama going on in telegram channels or discords or whatever and then all of a sudden it becomes apparent to you that this same sort of bullshit is driving suka the same way that it drives a lot of these projects am i am, you know am i sort of characterizing that about right well i mean when i i i you know, the one thing I do want to say still is I still believe that Suka is going to be an absolute freaking monster because now, okay, I have so why, why do you, why do you think that after, after everything you've said, very curious. Okay. So, because everything I talked about, like, this is just, I'm explaining now why I no longer associate to the project. Everything I talked about was math and community. There is no, okay. Math community and decentralization. All three of those, in my opinion, went out the window. The math is no longer there because they created a new token, Hoshi, which diluted the value of the original one. It's like taking two five-gallon buckets of water, fill one of them up with, you know, one gallon, one of them up with, you know, more, and then you poke a hole in the bottom, and what happens? The water starts dropping into one, and then they fill, and they come to parity. It's like, I don't see that with these two tokens based off the 25 years I've been in the market understanding what gives something value. People could say that this new token has value. When I ask how, nobody can explain it. When I say, how does it act as a governance token as an ERC-20 minted on Ethereum? No one can explain it. And so I'm just like, I'm tired of the bullshit. You know, it's all shrouded in mystery. I hate that shit. That's why I never talked about the situation with Rayoshi. Because it was like, it was there. And I knew that it was in the back. Like, it was sitting there. That was the monster that was going to emerge after the community blew everything up. And, you know, this is a community token. But it never happened like that. And that's that's fine. But what happened is when that new token came out, everything changed. It changed everything. And then after that, that's when everyone from the community, the leaders from the community, all basically said, if you don't accept this new token as, you know, this part of the ecosystem, then like, why are you here? And it's like, okay, fine. I get it. Like, I don't want to be part of that ecosystem. But from the beginning, 
That token was a, it was a fair launch. I, I believe it was the fucking first fair launch token at the one, at least the one that I know of for a year. I talked about it. fair launch for a year, tokenomics math, because it was all there. But when you out of nowhere decide to create a new token, it completely destroys the value. And so everything that I stand for and spoke about changed. And that was it. And then from that point, when I said, yo, what the hell is this shit? Why was this one guy dumping at support? Now he's the biggest holder of this new token. Wouldn't that seem a little coincidental to somebody as in this guy who's been manipulating the price for literally 13 straight months, buying and selling at certain points in massive amounts to affect the chart, all of a sudden decides to sell the rest of his entire bag at the macro support, which is supported for you know a year. And then he broke the support. And then all of a sudden, he no longer has a position in Suka. yet he becomes the biggest holder of Hoshi. How does that happen? How does that happen? I say to myself, I go, there's something shady going on here. I'm out. And so I say, I'm out. Now, here's another thing. I have sold tokens. Everyone knows it. I have people tracking my wallets. However, there are people that have no idea about other wallets that I have. I still have Suka, believe it or not. I did sell them from my hot wallets, some of them, but now I have other wallets. So it's like people track me, people apparently know everything I do, but nobody has a freaking clue. And it's just like, it is what it is. So now I hear there's a third token coming out. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's like that will dilute the value of the first two. So everything that happened was the, the, this new token came out, it shifted everything. Then the community kind of went this direction of, if you don't fall in line with this new narrative of these two tokens being together, then, you know, get the F out. And they were kicking people out left and right. And so going back to what I was saying about the whole Telegram debacle, I posted this screenshot of this guy saying one thing, then calls me a liar. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, what's what do you mean here? And then it got deleted. I'm going, why would they delete that? So I reposted it. Then all of a sudden, I can no longer, I'm restricted from the Telegram. I find out who it was that removed me. I write him a message and I go, bro, who the fuck do you think you are to remove me from the Telegram? Like, what have you done for this project ever? But it's like, He's one of the guys that's been pushing this narrative. And no matter what you say or do, if you don't fall in line, you're out. It's just like politics in America. It's pathetic. And so he then, I say to him, you know, you're a piece of shit. Like, fuck you, whatever. And he got all sensitive. And uh, in a voice message that I left that these guys, they cling on to everything I say. They're like dingleberries in my ass, man. It's crazy. So I left a voice <laughs> message like somewhere else. And somehow he heard it. And in that message, I said, it was my understanding that he was staking with Verlin, which was the situation that happened a year prior, which was a shit show that I was the only one to discover was a shit show. But I know what was going on again there, too. They were making money and they were acting like they didn't know. But they were all that's why I can't stand it. They're all the same people, the same people that were screwing over everyone with Verlin are doing the same thing now. And it's like it is what it is. The token in my eyes is going to be a success. Because I believe that there's a narrative behind it. And once the market starts to pick up, things are going to start to play out. Rayoshi is somehow going to reveal himself. And this ecosystem is going to be acknowledged as, as Rayoshi's newest you know, thing. And because there's going to be so much money, dumb money in the market, people are just going to buy it. Just like they bought Shiba Inu when they thought that you know, they didn't realize Elon was talking about Doge. Like, that's why I bought Shiba Inu instead of Doge, because I knew that 
One token is one one hundred thousandth the size, but it's basically the same thing. And so confusion leads to craziness, you know, and that's exactly what happened. So I got removed from the telegram and then, and then I said that I'm like, you know, you're, you were staking or I said, I believed that he was staking with Verlin. And then he contacts me back and he goes, because you're spreading false rumors about me, you're banned from the telegram. And I go, I never spread false rumors. I said, I assumed you were staking. I go, get a fucking lawyer. I go, you know, you're, I'm not wrong here. I said, I, I never said or didn't say. I said, I thought or I assumed, which, you know, I never accused him of it. I assumed. And so then he goes, you're banned. And then so I wrote like a message or something, you know, I'm banned from the telegram. And then everybody goes, you weren't banned. You, you left. And so that was like the discussion for like an entire week. That was the discussion. Like I am an asshole because I didn't get, I didn't get banned. I left. And I'm like, you guys realize like what you're arguing about. You're arguing about whether I got banned or left the telegram. And you're not even talking about the project. And then I'm just like, you know, I don't even know what's going on anymore. So I you just know, got your, your analogy, Patty, to politics is pretty apt. It was a pretty apt one. It's sort of like, um, you know, if, if if a Democrat goes against the the sort of uh, understood party line, you know, they get pushed aside or they get they get primaried or they get, you know, they they get cast out and uh, and they're no good anymore. And yeah, I think the one that- thing I, I think of is like the best example was when Donald Trump was president. His White House press secretary, like I used to love watching her. Like, I, I don't want to get into politics, but people used to throw the hardest questions in the world at her and she would come prepared and just shut people down. And I remember going, I'm like, that is awesome because that's like reality. Like people are throwing shit at her and she's defending it. And then now you see this White House press secretary where somebody asks questions about the president or the president's son. And instead of even addressing it, she just walks away. And I'm thinking that is the most shit, shit. Like there's no more cowardly shit than that. And like, that's what so many people do now because it's easy. Oh, I don't want to deal with reality. I'm just going to walk away. Like, yeah, over, a, a bad answer is better than no answer in, in, in most instances, because, you know, when you don't give any answers, then it just then it really just looks like you're hiding something or you're trying to protect fear. some yes. sort of narrative. Cowardly fear. They're hiding um, stuff. Yes. So I, I do want to move on from Suka, but I do. I have one last question, and I'm, I'm wondering maybe if you can just answer it with a yes, no, or maybe. Um, okay. You know, and if it needs a little explanation, that's fine. But I do want to move yeah. on to some of the other tokens that you've been talking about, and, and as yeah, well as some NFT stuff. Um, is do you think Suka is a scam? No. Okay. Like yeah. it's not a scam. They're, okay, but Th- it's being, this is really it's being this controlled is, or manipulated in some way. Every everything in this entire market is a scam. Every fucking thing. I'm sorry, man. I, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, you've been cursing the whole time. <laughs> yes, you can curse. I'll put a I'll put all an right, explicit right. warning at the, at the top of the episode. And every market is a scam. <laughs> and let me just say, the day that BlackRock said, we're going to get an ETF, that is the day that I knew the next bull market was going to be fucking huge. Because BlackRock, you know, people think that BlackRock's an asset manager. They have $9 trillion in assets. No. 
they basically control the world through indirect ownership. You know, they have probably a hundred trillion dollars on, on their books in total, but because it's through indirect ownerships, it's not officially, you know, their assets or whatever you want to call it. But they are basically the most powerful company in the world. You think of like world elites, you think of like, you know, they're, they're like puppets to, to the money. The money rules everything. You think of the Rothschilds. You think of those names that just are synonymous with money and control. BlackRock is that. They are the epitome of money and control. So when they said, hey, an ETF is coming out, you already know it's coming out. There's nobody that's going to say no to them. The SEC, they shit on the SEC. I buy you. You know what <laughs> I mean? So, so, that is so true. Yeah, you're leak, right. That leak. <laughs> the SEC is not going to tell them what to do. So yeah, cool. no, seriously, like the SEC is a joke. You know, uh, we're the SEC. No, BlackRock, they they dump on your head. So, and then Coin Telegraph came out and they're like, it was approved. And then the market spiked. I think it was three thousand points, and then immediately came back down. However, here's something interesting. Go look at the volume. Go look at the volume. Forty eight hours leading up into that message, it was the highest it's been in in a year. And I was watching that, and I'm going. What the f is going on here? Why is this volume so high? Then boom, that news came. Boom, it got you know sent back, and then the price just kept going higher. And I, you know, go on my Twitter. I wrote this the day it happened. I go, hey everybody, BlackRock approved the ETF, and it's like you just don't know it yet, but it tr trust me, it happened. And I go, watch as the money just keeps coming in. And sure enough, Bitcoin just kept going and going, going, going. Then it broke thirty, then thirty-two, then thirty-five. So it's like now we're getting back into the swing of things, but everything in this whole world is a scam. It's all manipulation. When when Bitcoin was at, you know, 19,000 back in 2017, 2018, you got assholes on MSNBC that don't know their ass. For, they can't even tell you what a blockchain is. Yet the guys are like, buy XRP. It's like $3. Buy it. Like what happened after that? Everyone got crushed. It's because these people only give a shit about money. So they're doing whatever they could do to benefit the most amount of people to make the most amount of money because they get kickbacks doing it. And it's like, that's the reality of the world. And it sucks. That's why I'm trying to take the fucking human error element out of everything I do and focus only on math. That's why I like hold. But yeah. I'd like. All right. Well, let's let's get it. Let's get into that. Let's talk about hold. Because yeah. you've, you've talked a lot about hold uh, on Twitter. I know absolutely nothing about it. So why don't you tell the people listening what is hold and why do you like it? All right. It is the mathematical anomaly it is everything that I was hoping that Suka could have been. But the difference now is instead of having this shady ass anonymous developer that has literally developed nothing since the inception of the project other than words on the blockchain, how long can you like put your faith in that? You know, but watch, it's going to come true. And then everybody's going to say, I told you so, because they all <laughs> fucking knew. Anyway, this project hold is like the epitome of what I was hoping that Suka would be mathematically. Suka was that token. Over the course of 15, 16 months, whatever it was, that Suka was getting manipulated, consolidating, it didn't matter because it was still redistribution of tokens over that long period of time creates value. People don't know value is derived from time, oftentimes. You know, there's there's assets that you buy where it's worth nothing when you first buy it, but like 50 years later, it's worth hundreds of millions. Like, why? What changed? Well, value, 
you know, goes up over time if you have an asset that people want. So, you know, it gets sold once, it gets sold again. Each time it goes up and up and up and up. As long as there's value, it'll continue to increase. Value and demand. So, Suka at, you know, at 15, 16 month mark was such a fundamentally strong project until they literally took a knife and poked a hole in it. And then the air just came out. So when I came across hold, what struck me as unique was that Roger, the uh, the developer. Okay. So what I was saying before is Roger is a doxed developer who's been traveling around the country trying to promote his project. He just went up to California or Florida, Chicago, like less than a week ago to an event with Barstool Sports so that he can meet with Frank the Tank and Dave Portnoy. And he did. And he got pictures with them. And he was pitching the project to them. And I'm going, that's cool, man. You know, like this guy's a developer. He's not a freaking salesman. And yet he was trying to do it. He did say to me like the day before, he's like, Pat, you want to go? And I'm thinking it's like in Miami, right down the street. And I'm like, Chicago. I, I tell you what. If I got that, if he got back to me that night, I probably would have gone on a plane and went because I would have loved to have met Dave Portnoy and I would have pitched the shit out of him. But anyway, so he did something with the contract that is, I don't even think he realizes what he did. I don't think anybody really realizes. And I know I get excited and I know like I sound like a freaking car salesman, but I, I cannot get excited over something that I don't believe in. And I was really excited about Suka for a long time until I was like, never so demoralized over something in my life like legit like that was one of the worst things because i put my heart and soul into trying to make that the best project possible only to have these changes happen then i become the scapegoat as the bad guy i become demonized and i'm like ah, this just sucks man and it's like you know there's so many people that hate me because i was the guy that would quote unquote pump their bags i get messages patty pump my bags patty why aren't you posting about this, Patty? And I'm just like, yo, you want me to post? Because it's like, you know, if it gets attention, it goes up. You're just going to fucking dump on me. So what this guy Roger created is uh, something in the contract that was like a time expiring feature so that what's the biggest issue with, with every project that comes out today? It gets front loaded, right? There's snipers, there's sniper bots, there's like, you know, groups of individuals that have inside information and there's always people that somehow are able to get get the one up on on something right so mathematically it's very difficult to create something that has a really good token distribution unless it organically happens over time which is what was happening with suka however what he did was so at the inception of the project the most that any wallet could buy was one-tenth of one percent. And at that time, it was literally pennies on the dollar. So if you knew about this project somehow, and it's like, you know, you're Roger's buddy, and maybe Roger told you, like, there's always that going on. And it's like, it happens, but there's a lot of really shady anonymous teams that do really scummy stuff. So I don't know if Roger told like a couple friends, like, hey, I'm coming out with this project, like try to accumulate it, but it's hard. <laughs> So you can only put about whatever it was, 10 cents in. And then six hours later, that one-tenth of 1% one would then double. So it became two-tenths of 1%, four-tenths of 1%. So that after like 
whatever it was, five days, then you could buy what you wanted. So the token distribution on this project is like nothing I've seen. There are people in this market that only focus on the same things that I focus on. And that is tokens that have good fundamentals, you know, good concept, good idea, blah, blah, blah. But the tokenomics matter the most because crypto is about decentralization in my eyes. I want to be part of a project that is, you know, it's the individuals collectively working together. And that's what it was with Suka until this Rayoshi narrative came over and it just took over. Whereas now, because this project was created in this fashion, there is no single wallet with over 1% of the supply. I have never seen that in my life. The number uh, 50 wallet owns like 0.2%. Like, I, I mean, I, I have these, like we have charts and graphs and stuff breaking everything down, but like, this is stuff that is so incredibly insane to see for a project that like literally just came out. But it's because he put this like ingenious concept into the contract that over time prevented people from front loading it. So nobody had the ability to front load it. And of course, you know, there's people that stack big bags and it's like a lot of them have been dumping, but the project is sustaining. And so we're kind of going through this consolidation period after an insane pump where, you know, the first like four or five days, it made a big pump. And then for like a week and a half later, it made another huge pump. And then after that, it made another big pump, but it's since pulled back. So it's made two complete fractals and it's beginning the third fractal right now where it's completing the third fractal. It hasn't yet you know, made that breakout, but it's just a unique situation with really unique math. And it's like a legit community token where, you know, in the last month or so, um, we've had multiple AMAs with like Wall Street bets and a bunch of other guys, you know, Shill Tank and uh, the ones for a or the uh, AMAs for Wall Street bets, we had to pay. And so we co collectively as a community all donated and uh, we had to raise 7,500 bucks in both times. We did it in less than 24 hours. And it's like, this is a little project still, you know, it's been around for less than two months, but it's got the base, it's got the foundation. So I'm thinking that like, once this next fractal breaks out, that's where people are going to kind of recognize it because it's going to, I think, squeeze in price. You know, you, you, you hear the term short squeeze a lot, like you can't do a short squeeze with this, but. The fact that the guys from Wall Street Bets are like checking it out and they are the ones that were behind the AMC GameStop short squeeze, it's it's really interesting because all right, this this is something that I believe could be the catalyst that like propels this thing to like multi-billions. And it's like I'm not fucking joking when I say multi-billions, because 99% of the projects that exist, people have no idea, but they can never in a million years go to a billion. And it's because fundamentally they have these pitfalls that will absolutely destroy the price heading into that billion dollars because of one factor or another. You might have a greedy developer who allocated 30% of the token supply to himself so that as the price starts pumping and all of a sudden it gets to a half a billion dollars, he rugs it, just gone. You know, that, that's a, a statistical odd that I no longer want to be associated with. So with this whole token... Because it doesn't have an anonymous developer that could create a new token out of nowhere, we have a doxed developer who now, the way I see it is, this is his like focus. This is his baby. I said, dude, this is your billion dollar baby. You better you know, work for it or work with it. And so the only thing that can happen is he creates a different token and then says it's part of the ecosystem. But I just don't see that happening. I mean, I've never seen that happen. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> 
I've never you seen know, one, one thing you mentioned, Patty. One thing you mentioned is, um, you know, the the importance of the just just the fact that you know the the guy behind it is uh, someone who you know is is not anonymous. Um, and you know, thinking about the NFT space, I I, I feel like with with the next sort of bull run that'll be coming with NFT, and I do believe that will happen. I feel like it does feel like to me like NFT is sort of like the last thing to catch on in any sort of crypto um, bull market. Um, you know, I, I think that the doxed um, projects, the ones where, you know, the person isn't hiding behind some sort of random avatar, those are going to be the ones that people gravitate to. I think one of the lessons people learned in the in the last, uh, you know, the 2021, uh, 2022 uh, NFT bull market was the the danger and the risk of these projects run by nobodies, run by anonymous people, and and how how risky they were, and how many of them turned out to be total flops. I mentioned on the uh, you know one of the last episodes I did, I had snacks on, who is the guy who created Pizza Dow, and I was saying how um, just the other day in the Discord, I was saying I you know I can count it, it's an endless number of projects in Discords that no longer exist that completely rugged and here's something like pizza dow who was run by a person who's doxxed who's who which has a very strong community that's still strong even in the bear market that's still throwing parties um those to me are the kinds of projects that you know entering the next phase are really going to to succeed and be strong do you do, do you think that you can really even underestimate the importance of being doxxed in, in this next wave that's coming I'm with you, bro. I think it's uh, uh, important because so many people have been getting destroyed, right? And it's like, statistically, if you look around, like, what are the projects that are causing the destruction? And a lot of them are these anonymous devs that are creating, like, hundreds of tokens a week. And uh, so people do gravitate to that individual. You know, the, 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 the artist that interacts with their people that you know goes places and meets up and blah 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 so even though the market sucked the last couple of years these artists that may not have even created anything just continue to post on social media you know go to the events they remain relevant so now when the things start to ramp up people associate to that and they go hey oh this guy remember him from a couple of years ago oh yeah he created great art and it's like oh he's still around that name, you know, kind of resonates with people and it makes them feel a little more comfortable than, you know, if it was an anonymous person who created a bunch of art that say it's amazing, then all of a sudden kind of fades off. People can't really put the art to a face. And so there's not that relationship there that, that keeps that bond. So that if that guy all of a sudden, two years later, starts like kind of creating art again, People don't really have that same, oh, yeah, he was the guy that was at the event and met all the people and they all loved them. It's just like, ah, this guy creates good art, but it's like, nah, that's all it is. You know, there's there's nothing more there. And I think that the NFT space is a very emotional space in a good way, as in they they, they help each other. And, you know, if you've got a support group of people that are building you up saying, hey, this is my friend. They're a great artist. Look at their work, you know, support them. It helps, you know, especially, you know, collectively within the whole community. I know as you as you were as you were saying all that, I mean, it's in we talked about this guy the last time you were on, but he's one of my favorite artists and, and I've gotten to know him a little bit. And, you know, we I have conversations with him, but that's Paul Massey. And I really and I know you're a huge fan of Paul Massey. And I feel like 
there's one of those guys who has a face, has a name, uh, is is continuing to make great art, even though the NFT aspect of it is you know sort of down right now. But I mean, look, there's a, there's someone when it picks back up that you can turn back to and say, here, here's this guy that we, like this is a real human being. This isn't some random person, you know, using a bunch of software uh, to create whatever kind of art that doesn't really mean anything. Here's someone who's actually putting this stuff in the real world, who's working with Pepsi, who's working with all these big brands. Um, you know, someone like that, to me anyway, is is going to just crush when this thing 100%. starts to pick back Dude, up again, all is going to be huge. And I say this because I love, I love, I love that guy, man. Paul, that guy is man. so, he's just great. He's he a great is such guy. a good dude, but it's like, man, he, he's a little rough around the edges. You know what I mean? He says things that I'm going, fuck yeah, Paul. Like, I love you, man. Yeah, but, well, you know what? I tell him all the time to lean into that, 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 you know, that's, that's part him. of that's who, who what makes is. him him, man. That's I mean, his you character. Know. And so that's, he's like the, uh, what's the word they use for wrestling when it was like the bad guy, like the, uh, the heel, he's, the heel. he's kind of like the heel, but he's like, well, he's the, like, nice the likable heel. He's like the stone cold Steve Austin. Yes, of, uh, he's the nice you know, heel. of NFT. Like, it's the hard to explain, to, but yeah. I read his messages and then he writes stuff where he's like, you know, these people, blah, blah, blah. They create the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I get it, man. <laughs> I'd be frustrated too, but I'm thinking to myself, Paul, just keep doing you because that is going to be like your what puts you on the pedestal. Because oh, that's it. For, yeah. for two years, there were a lot of artists that had immense success. And now when I say success, I mean I've been making millions. But does that translate into like long-term prosperity? Blah 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 blah. It may if you take that money and invest it and do whatever. But there are artists that like look at Pac, right? How much money did Pac make? Now I can't even begin to count how much. It, it's like <laughs> I mean, a millions and millions and millions. Man, the guy was making so much money, and it's like, was his art any better than Paul's? It's different. It's different. Maybe it relates to people, but what he had was an immense marketing, you know, campaign. This and da da da, and it's like everybody knew his art, and it's like, why was it that much better? I don't believe so. I just think because he was really good at you know spreading the word getting the word out doing that whole thing so now look at him like he is known like you know i read the messages i don't own any of his art but everyone is like dude this guy's a scammer for what he did and it's like you know you can i can't can you say he's a scammer i don't know like did he know what was gonna happen did he know what he was doing i don't know but i'll tell you what he's probably gonna sell his art for a bit but like his reputation now it's kind of like yeah you're, you're okay. You know, you're, you're that guy. But like Paul now, Paul through for two and a half years, when, when a lot of stuff was going real crazy, he didn't really have like that same marketing type situation where it would just came off as dirty. Cause like, you know, a lot of people that are promoters are, are tweeting and posting. And it's like, you know, they're all being paid and shit. Whereas Paul just did his thing. And produce quality work. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Because Paul Paul is not a uh, slick, you know, smooth talking, um, you know, uh, marketing promotion minded type of guy. He's not a Donald Trump type person to, you know, always be thinking about um, what's the best way I can sell this. Um, exactly. What's the best he way I can get good art? You know, the to me. What I love about Paul and I love about his art program and what he's go going on and who he is, 
is exactly what we're talking about is that he is just who he is. And I'm not worried in, in any way, shape or form that anything about what he's doing is fake or manufactured. And that's what I like. It feels like a strong, solid foundation. Um, and I, you know, and I feel the same way about lots of different artists that I like, uh, whether it's Sen Paul or, or Scrawlsy, who I had on the show. Um, you know, these guys who I've interacted with for, you know, years at this point on, you know, on Twitter who have given me absolutely zero reason to doubt uh, anything about what they say or what they do or how real they are. And to me, like, that's what I want to be a part of. And I think that's what a lot of people going forward, I I would imagine, are going to want to be a part of something that that just does feel like just totally real. Yeah. And with Paul, you know, he, he kept it real. He did his thing. He grinded. He made great art. And it's like, because of who he is, people are going to now in this market cycle, in my opinion, recognize the fact that, hey, here's a guy that has continued to grind all the way through. He creates quality work. He does it the right way. And I think that that in itself is something that creates value. Because again, you got Pac who, you know, the guy made millions, but, you know, look at his reputation now. Like, I personally, like, I don't look for artists like that. I like, I like associating with the artists that I can connect with on a personal level that, that I just get along with because for some weird reason to me personally, their art becomes more beautiful when, when they, as an individual are, you know, beautiful as well. And, you know, like I say, Paul is a, a bruiser. He reminds me of chopper, like the guy from the movie and, you know, Australian guy, but, uh, I know he's from, you know, I think Manchester, but I just think that. He's a guy that's a true and pure artist. I think with NFT, and I think a lot of the things that people don't understand is that it has to be a lot more than just cool art. Because, you know, um, uh, if, if I go to an art festival and I want to buy a piece of art, I'm going to buy that piece of art because I want to hang it on my wall and enjoy looking at it every day. Whereas with NFT art, you know, uh, I don't need to buy it to enjoy looking at it like if I really want to I can get a display and and put it up in my house and I can just like grab that artwork you know and and enjoy it visually just like I can get a reproduction uh painting of the Mona Lisa or whatever like you you know it's it's, it has to be a lot more than about aesthetics and to me and, and and what's kind of funny about this is that with Paul that's one of the things things I feel like he often laments is that you know there's a lot of garbage art out there. But I think the one thing that Paul doesn't understand is that who he is and the kind of guy that he is adds to his art in a major way. And I think once he really taps into that, uh, man, I think uh, I think you're looking at a, an explosion for sure. Yeah, dude. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned Sen Paul too. You know, another incredible artist who. When you compare the sales of his, like, you know, top sales to some of these other artists that have sold for a lot more, like, you know, just take a step back. I look at the art quality and I go, uh, you know, I am not seeing why this one artist is selling for more. And it's like you kind of look underneath the surface. It's because, you know, they had, hey, my buddy Farak, you know, was tweeting about me or da 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 was right. tweeting about me. Whereas Sen Paul, yep. another guy just grinds. Like, you know what? There and are there, guys and, and, yep. And there's are, a guy who is pure who artist. Is steered- has steered clear of um, attempts by others, uh, you know, as far as I know, to kind of latch on and push him in certain directions and manipulate things a little bit. And, um, 
and, and he has steered clear of that and stayed true to who he is. And here's a guy also that during this bear market, did he just go away? No, he's out there. You know, him and his wife are making films. They're at film festivals. He's winning awards. He's 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 doing shit with his heart constantly just because he's not minting more NFTs, which he shouldn't be doing right now. You know, um, he's he's out there doing it. This is a real person. This is a real person out there in his in his field, um, you know, making films, making art um, in the real world. And, you know, NFT will always be there for him when he wants to mint again. And right now, you know, I haven't minted since August of 2022 and I, I will be soon. But, you know, um, all of us have continued to do what we do. And, and Sen Paul is definitely, you know, one of those people for sure. Yeah. And, and like, you know, you I didn't realize that you didn't mint for that long. And it's like, you know, as a collector. I have so much respect for that because you're, in my opinion, you're looking out for those that, you know, supported you where, hey, you're making art, you love making art, but you're also realizing that there, there is a situation where if you make too much of it, then it kind of starts to lose value for the people earlier on that, you know, may have paid for it, blah, blah, blah. So one thing I did notice, and this is something interesting, like this is where my background in, in you know, economics and marketing and stuff is, is funny because there were artists that were coming into, you know, this new form of finance, right? Cryptocurrency. They don't know anything about cryptocurrencies. They're artists. So when they come in, you know, the price of Ethereum at the time was 200 bucks. And then six months later, it's 2000 bucks. I started asking every one of these artists. So I'm like, how do you value your art? USD or Ethereum? And they're like, eh, Ethereum, Ethereum, Ethereum. And I go, okay, okay, why is that? And they're like, ah, just because. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I said, what happens if Ethereum disappears? And they're like, uh, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency. You minted your, your token on their blockchain. And if they disappear, doesn't that mean like your work disappears? And like, they didn't know what to say. And then I'm going, all right, here's another hypothetical. What happens if, you know, for the last month or a couple of months, the price went from a hundred bucks to a thousand, then all of a sudden it goes from a thousand and then something bad happens and it drops to a hundred overnight. You let's hypothetically speaking, say you just sold an NFT for one ETH when Ethereum was a thousand bucks, you sold it for a thousand dollars, but all of a sudden that blockchain Ethereum had a critical error, was exploited and it dropped by 90%. So that same thousand dollars is now worth only a hundred. So I go to that artist the next day and say, Hey buddy, yesterday your art was a thousand bucks. Today it's only a hundred. And they go, no, it's not. It's a thousand. I sell it for a thousand. It's worth a thousand. I go, okay. So you value it in USDC or, you know, USD. Yeah. They're not, they're not and listing their art for 10 ETH all of a sudden, you know, because, yeah, the, but, because but it's the just price funny because <laughs> These people knew nothing. I say these people, these artists, they knew nothing about finance. They just saw these numbers, but they didn't make sense of the numbers or right. why the numbers acted like they did. So, you know, if you had an X copy that you sold for one ETH or let's just say five ETH when Ethereum was a hundred bucks, that's $500. But then let's just say Ethereum goes from a hundred to 4,000. That's a 40 X increase. But then during that same time, that piece of art that you sold for five ETH then sold for 50. So you get compounding gains. You get, you know, that that change from 100 to 4,000, which is a 40x increase. And then from that sale of 5x, the 50x is another 10x. So that's a 400x increase. So if you paid, you know, whatever it was, you paid 100 bucks, like that thing is worth a lot or it's a lot more than 400x. I did my math wrong. But 
The point I mean, of it I, is, I, I try to take I try to take both into account. You know, I, I do try to look at you know what what did they what did my previous pieces sell for in terms of Ethereum, but then also take into account the fact that you know at the time Ethereum was thirty five hundred and now it's around two thousand. So I try to take that into account as well. Um, I try to take lots of different factors into account. I think just you know trying to trying to pretend like one ETH is one ETH, and in reality, that's that's not how anybody views this because we're constantly looking at the dollar value of Ethereum. So I think it's you know it's nice to now, say, but, here, but it, so. it doesn't entirely make perfect sense. Patty, listen, thank you so much hey, for joining guys, me, I man. Say one I, last thing, just to wrap up. Go ahead, go, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, sure. Okay, right, so last little thing. So what I was saying is on. Um, these artists, you know, they're talking about the dollar value, blah, blah, blah. So some of them lived in this illusion of like a bull market and they, they were selling their art, making money. And now here's the, here's like the, the whole caveat of why I'm trying to say this guys like you, why did you stop minting? I don't know, but you did. There were others that probably thought that they could continue to make money in this market, but they didn't anticipate what the market was going to do. So because the market shit the bed, Everything that they had in their mind just went out the window. So they had to readapt to the entire situation. So what does that mean? Well, oh, I used to sell my art for 0.5 when Ethereum was 3,000 bucks. I was 1,500 bucks a pop. Now Ethereum's down to, you know, wherever it was, you know, we'll say 1,500 bucks. And I can't sell for 0.5. I could sell for 0.05. So they're like, I can't pay my bills. So what do they do? They start fucking pumping out art. And those are the artists where I go, man, like even if you create good art, your lack of awareness, your lack of foresight is, is a burden to your future. And it's like as a collector who only, you know, not only collects for passion because I love art, but I strategically buy certain pieces of art because I believe I'll be able to resell them for a lot more in the future. So if you have an artist that fumbles that so bad, that they have to start minting, you know, endless NFTs just to cover their their balance. Like, yo, whew, you just destroyed every collector that supported you. You just destroyed everybody. And it's like, it sucks because your art may be good, but that was your downfall. So it's like, you can't be just a good artist, as you mentioned earlier. You have to have multiple components of like, you know, understanding where, you know, situational awareness of just like things that change, but. Anyway, well, that's I don't know that's, if you're wrapping that's up. just it. And I think that, you know, for me, uh, I think not relying on NFT sales as for my income, you know, and being like a full time NFT artist uh, has a lot to do with it. Like, you know, I, um, you know, I it, it's an it's an element of what I do uh, offering my work as NFTs. And for me, it's it's really the only way I can offer my work as a collectible is through NFT. But I continue to make work even when I'm not minting and I post it on social media. You know, I get. Uh, I make a portrait of Gordon Ramsay and I have Gordon Ramsay quote tweeting it saying how much he loves it. You know, I might not be minting that work right now, but when I do, um, you know, I know that's that's going to probably add to the value of it. And when I decided to stop minting, uh, it wasn't because of the bear market. I made a conscious decision uh, that when I minted my last one of one, which was uh, which was the biggest piece of pizza art ever made anywhere in the world. Um, but that was a logical sort of end point for the sort of first part of my NFT journey, for lack of a better term. Um, and I made, uh, you know, I, I made a bold stand right then and there that I wasn't going to mint again until 2024. So that was about at a minimum 18 months. And I let people know that when I minted that piece, 
that this would be it. This was going to be it for 18 months. And there were a lot of people, I think, who didn't believe that that was going to be the case. Um, and here we are. We're coming up on 18 months, and I'm going to be minting my first one-of-one NFTs since August of 2022 on National Pizza Day 2024, which is February 9th. So, I mean, I you know, um, it was a very conscious decision. It wasn't just because of the bear market. There was some good timing there. Um in terms of just it being a, a pretty nice time to not be minting. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that I didn't give up everything to be an NFT artist. And I think that so it, it wasn't so hard for me to stop uh, minting. I wasn't reliant on, you know, income from NFT sales for my livelihood. I, you know, I have a family business that we run. I have uh, other avenues here. Um, it's just a part of the total package. And so I think that that's a big part of it. And I would definitely advise any artist getting into NFTs now, um, you know, don't put all your eggs in that basket right away. It's, 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 it doesn't really make any sense to do that. hundred percent, man. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm outside right now. It's just the way <laughs> you're getting ready for one of your walks, man. One of your, uh, <laughs> your patty Every day walk. I've been doing them, man. I love it. Well, listen, Patty, thank you so much for joining me, man. It's always fun talking to you. Um, you know, to please let everybody know where they can follow you, how they can follow you. Uh, you know, look, the Patty, the Patty Stash walks have become very popular. So let people know where they can where they can watch those and where they can find you. All right. Well, um, well, I got a couple of places. I guess, you know, I, it's Patty Stash, P-A-D-D Stash, but there's an underscore. That's my Twitter. Uh, and then I have my private telegram, which is my Patty Rambles, which is where I do my talks and my walks and my, my speeches and my yelling. And that is, uh, I guess I could, it's, it's Patty P A D D Y rambles the number two, that's the telegram handle. But, uh, yeah, the Twitter is where I'm at most of the time, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure speaking with you again. I had a blast as always. And, uh, let's do it again. We'll do a, a triple threat. We'll do the, uh, trifecta. Sounds good, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Take care. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got it. I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.